0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three weeks ago, I did something I have never done before, and I'll probably never do again. I'll be honest, I was a bit nervous about it. I didn't quite know how to do it. I felt a bit guilty doing it, and I was hoping none of you would see me do it. I bought a lottery ticket. (laughs) Here it is. Um, You know, the hype and the buzz around the biggest ever lottery prize in history finally got to me. And I thought, hey, why not? It's only one dollar. I'm going to do it. Yes, I know at that point, the the, the odds of winning are also the lowest that they've ever been in history. And it meant I had to eat my own words about how I would never do such a thing and how the lottery is really a tax on stupid people. (laughs) Still... How many of you have ever thought, ever wondered what you would do if you won? And my odds of winning were improved by buying a ticket over not buying a ticket, albeit not much. But anyway, I bought the ticket and I put it on the refrigerator. And then I waited for the big draw, which I didn't watch live, but I did check online the next day. And you know what? Not a single number matched. (laughs) But what if it had? What if I had been the winner of $656 million? I guess I'd have been like every other lottery winner, babbling in amazement. I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And no doubt I would have experienced that rather odd mixture of incredible joy and absolute disbelief. Well, that is a little bit like what happened with the disciples when they encountered Jesus risen from the dead. They could hardly believe it, and yet it was true. There he was, standing in front of them, and they were filled with joy. Luke says, in their joy, they were disbelieving. And still wondering. But of course there's a very big difference. Between the joy of the resurrection. And the joy of a lottery winner. Indeed there are countless examples. Where winning the lottery far from bringing joy. Has brought people heartache and misery. Many lottery winners have ended up bankrupt within a few years. Some have suffered worse fates. Divorced, addicted or even dead. So much for the so-called joy of winning tons of money. Instead of enjoying eternal happiness, winners in many cases have known disaster. The trouble with happiness is that it happens and doesn't usually last. Whereas real joy, the joy that the disciples and Christians throughout the ages have experienced, is a joy that lasts for eternity And it's an altogether different phenomena than the fleeting joys of material wealth. Now, having said that, the joy those disciples experienced didn't lead them to a life of luxury, happiness, or ease. Indeed, it cost many of them their lives. But what is Christian joy? I've been wrestling with that and wondering, can we really experience joy that lasts? And as I've thought about it, I've realized that joy is actually a bit of a religious word. I'm not sure that it gets used that much out of the context of the church. So what is it? Well, I think it includes happiness, but it's so much more than that. It's not fleeting. It's not based on material things, and it's certainly not based on money. No, joy is something much deeper, something much more substantive. I don't know about you, but if at Christmas we sang, Happy to the world, the Lord is... It would be a bit lame, wouldn't it? It's just not... Or how about, Happy, happy, we adore thee... No, no. Um, Joy is so much more than that. And our Easter joy is something that comes to us from outside the material world. And joy brings the promise of satisfaction of our deepest longings. Joy is a deeply religious word for a deeply religious experience. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about the joy of heaven in his masterful book, The Problem of Pain. Scripture and tradition put the joys of heaven into the scale against the sufferings of earth. And no solution of the problem of pain which does not do so can be called a Christian one. We are very shy nowadays of even mentioning heaven. We're afraid of the jeer about pie in the sky and of being told that we are trying to escape from the duty of making a happy world here and now into dreams of a happy world elsewhere. But either there is pie in the sky or there is not. If there is not then Christianity is false. For this doctrine is woven into its whole fabric. If there is then this truth, like any other, it must be faced. I want to suggest this morning that the foundation and promise for hope and for real, deep, and abiding joy is found in the resurrection. If Jesus conquered death then we truly can know eternal life and joy. If he did not, then we have no lasting hope, no real joy, and frankly, we are to be pitied. When Jesus appeared to his disciples in that upper room, maybe it was the same upper room where he'd had supper with them not so long before, we don't know, But they, when they encountered him risen from the dead, began to experience this real and lasting joy. You know, three times in the face of the cross, on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus told the disciples that their grief would be turned into joy. And he promised that no one would take away that joy. If you have ever experienced grief, you will know that it can be a desolate, empty, numbing, life-draining experience. Indeed, in the midst of grief, it is hard even to imagine ever knowing joy again. And that is why it is so important that we who are an Easter people, we who belong in this worshiping community, support one another. That we come alongside those who are in grief, those who are hurting and aching, those who are not perhaps experiencing the kind of joy I'm talking about. To show them Christ's love and healing, to tell them that there is hope and that they should not believe the lies of despair that our enemy, the devil, loves to crush people with. Despair and grief and the absence of joy would surely be ways that we would have described how the disciples must have felt after seeing Jesus crucified. And yet, what a contrast when that which Jesus had promised that he would rise again, that their grief would be turned to joy, was fulfilled before their very eyes. Easter is rightly a very joyful time as we reflect on the glories of the resurrection and as we celebrate that in our worship together. You know, these past couple of Sundays have certainly been very happy and joyous occasions here at Ascension. What joy on Easter Day to have record attendance with more than 700 people attending worship. What joy to see four folks baptised, three infants and a young adult convert from Islam. And what joy last week as we prayed for Grant and Wendy, who are now in Cairo preparing for Grant's consecration as assistant bishop of Egypt and the Middle East on Wednesday. You know, every rector likes to see a full church. Um, By the way, I'll let you in on a secret. You can always spot uh, a clergy person in a restaurant. They're the only people counting how many are there. But I hope I will never mistake that feeling for the joy of seeing people come to know Jesus. Seeing people having lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Seeing people move from grief to joy. While those first disciples were experiencing that first Easter joy, Alongside their wondering and disbelief, Jesus explained to them from the scriptures how he was the fulfillment of all that had been written and promised about him. He opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and he taught them that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to everyone. Now, I believe that there are many folks here at Ascension who've begun to have their eyes opened in new ways, maybe simply through coming to church Sunday by Sunday or perhaps through reading the scriptures or in a small group. Those who have seen God at work in other people's lives and being part of, a, of something perhaps new that's going on in our midst. Well, if that's right, what do you think the risen Jesus might say to us today? And what stands out for me from this gospel reading is that at the heart of this encounter of the risen Lord is Jesus' call to mission. God's mission, which we are called to participate in, is about sharing his love, sharing his joy, sharing his peace with the world. One of the wonderful things that Easter reminds us of is that Jesus is making all things new. And so for us each day, in the midst of our anxieties or our busyness or our sufferings, as we live in that Good Friday world I spoke of a few weeks ago, we are an Easter people and we cling on to the Easter joy that we have in the risen Christ. And we trust that he is indeed making all things new. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. And it is in doing that that we experience our sorrows being turned to joy. One of the ways that helps us to experience the joy that God gives is to remember who we are. Who we are in God's eyes. In our epistle reading today, in the first verse, John reminds us of just how great is the love that God has lavished upon us, that we, that you, should be called children of God. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, writes John. Do you know that love? I suspect that for many people, what prevents them from knowing that love, that presents them from experiencing this joy that I'm speaking of, is that they have never experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So many people that I meet are weighed down by guilt and shame or anger. And so they're not joyful because the darkness of a broken relationship or the, or the hurt of past mistakes or ways in which they have been wronged block out all that God would have them enjoy. And so sadly, some of these folks may live their lives chasing after this thing or the next, looking for fulfillment but never finding it, longing for refreshment but feeling forever parched. Well, if that's how you are feeling this morning, there is a word for you from the Apostle Peter from Acts chapter 3. And you may recall, we heard it a moment ago. Peter says to the crowds, many of whom, by the way, had probably been in the crowds that had previously been shouting, crucify him. Peter says to them, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. But the sentence didn't stop there. He goes on to say that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. There can be no lasting refreshment and joy without repentance and forgiveness. Incidentally, that was quite a sermon that Peter preached. I don't know if you were listening as Debbie read, but you know Peter was not mincing his words. He was not about to backpedal on the stark truth of things that had been going on. You know, the crowds had been um, astonished at seeing a lame man healed. And Peter tackles them head on. He says, why are you staring at us as if this was by our own power that this man was healed? No, this man was healed by the power of the living God. The God of your ancestors and the God who glorified Jesus. Yes, that same Jesus that you betrayed. You rejected and you handed over to the Romans. You got a murderer released and you killed the author of life. Except, of course, He didn't stay dead, for God raised him to life again. I think sometimes we're not so very good with presenting the truth to folks. Uh, Maybe it's because people simply don't want to hear it, or maybe because we don't want to say it. And so nowadays we talk about, you know, inappropriate behavior, or errors of judgment, or mistakes. We don't feel so comfortable talking about sin and selfishness, betrayal, unfaithfulness, rebellion. And yet the truth is, that is what we are all guilty of. But, thank God, alongside that stark truth, we can know and share also the words of hope and love and grace, calling us back to God to find forgiveness, to find healing, to find that refreshment that brings joy. But friends, says Peter, you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Note this, he did not say, you acted in ignorance so you're off the hook or it doesn't matter or you bear no responsibility. No, not at all. We, we do and say or fail to do and say all kinds of things out of ignorance, but that's not an excuse for our sin. So today, for each one of us, let us make sure that we know the risen Jesus, that we come again to God with our failings and weaknesses, our ignorance and our willfulness, and let us ask God to forgive us and to change us and to refresh us. For our selfishness, for our apathy, for every way in which we have not put God first in our lives, and for every way in which we sent Jesus to the cross. Then, as we repent and turn to God, we will know forgiveness, we will know refreshment, you will know joy a joy that will last, a joy that will get you through times of grief a joy that will be infectious to others, and a love and a joy and a peace that only God can give. And if you will do that, I think you will once again be amazed by who God is and all that he has done for us and all that he will do in the days ahead. As Peter reminded those listening to him, so too for us. The God that we worship here this morning is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. It's the same God, the same God who raised Jesus from dead to life. What will this God do here in the coming months? What will this God do in your life this week? In the very first days of the church, the crowds were amazed when they saw someone being healed, as in our reading from Acts today. But Peter asks those who are looking on, why does this surprise you? Don't you realize, he says, this is all because of the power of the risen Jesus. The man who was made strong by faith. The man who was healed was made strong by faith in Jesus. In what ways will people be amazed by God as they encounter Church of the Ascension and as they encounter you at work or at school or wherever this week? I hope that whatever else may amaze them, they will be amazed by the love, by the joy, and by the peace that they encounter in those who believe and trust in Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I say to you, as St. Peter said long ago, repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. May it be so for the glory of God and for the building up of his church. Amen.